Welcome to Central Community Church this morning. Good to see you. My name is Eldon. If, uh, if you haven't met me before, I'm the pastor for Central here in Agassiz. I love this gathering, even though we can only be at 50 people right now, and uh, it's really good. Now I don't know what to do with my mask. Anyway, we're in a series uh, right now uh, in the book of Acts, and so if you have your Bible, I just encourage you to open it up to Acts chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to read a few verses there. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 41. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm so thankful uh, for many things today, but that I can just be here with you to, uh, to worship today. So Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 41. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I just uh, am amazed at how applicable uh, God's word is to our context. You know, first century church, uh, 2,000 years ago, the same word applies to us this morning. So we're just going to go through these few verses as we continue our series that we started about five weeks ago and see what God has to say for us today. How many of you like, um, maybe this is a bit of a dumb question, but how many of you like to receive gifts? How about unexpected gifts? (laughs) Yeah. So I want to tell you a little story. Um, I, I always have to weave the Saskatchewan thing in every time that I speak, but I hail from the prairies, Marcy and I, my wife and I, we, uh, we met there when we were still in high school, high school sweethearts, uh, did our uh, sort of uh, training and college stuff, and then took on our first pastorate uh, about a year and a half after graduating Bible school uh, in a small town in Saskatchewan called Borden. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, heard of it but uh, super, super cold over there uh, in the winter. And so uh, we, we lived in a house that was provided by the church. So it's called like a manse or a parsonage, right? Now this was a super old house. And it was built in the day when they insulated it with sawdust. So the shavings inside the walls over years and years would settle. And so the saw, our house was actually insulated from the windowsill down. <laughs> that is it. Everything else, at nighttime in the winter, our curtains would move literally from the wind coming in from the windows and between the walls and you name it. It was it was unbelievable place frogs and you name it living in the basement it was uh it was it was quite a house so very cold i figured out after our first winter or two that i needed to do something about this so i literally wrapped the house in this thick plastic leaving cutouts for the doors that is it and kind of tacked it to the siding and then we put like uh up to the bottom of the windows we put bales all the way around the house just to keep this thing as warm as we could because In the dead of winter, our heater fuel bill, back in the days when the co-op truck would come around and fill that tank outside, the big big tank beside the house, 
it was anywhere from three to four hundred dollars a month, depending on the year and the month. So I remember uh, uh, our it may have been our first winter, second I can't remember. Our heater fuel bill was coming up, it was coming due. We paid it monthly at the co-op in town, and so uh, I was anticipating this big bill right before Christmas. And I'm like, oh no, how are we going to do this? Like, we got to buy some Christmas gifts for the kids. They were just little. And uh, we were on a very, very small salary. And so um, I went into the co-op, and the manager met me there, and he's looking up my little file. And uh, he said, oh, he goes, uh, somebody came in and paid your bill. I'm like, what? That is sweet. That was like probably one of the best Christmases we had there because we had that money sort of like reserved now that we could, we could spend it on gifts and family and traveling and all that kind of stuff. Love unexpected gifts. Uh, you'll see on the screen here, Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. So uh, basically, this is to enhance your relationships with those around you. If you learn to speak their language, you're going to have a better relationship. So some people respond to words of affirmation or acts of service or receiving gifts, quality time, or physical touch. So I'll say it again. For how many of you is your love language receiving gifts? That's, that's the thing that really speaks to you. Come on, at the beginning, everybody's like, oh, love maybe it's just not your primary. Okay, what is it? What is it? Not too many. Hey, yeah. <laughs> maybe you're just embarrassed to put your hand up. That's okay. My, I, I like receiving gifts, but to be honest with you, I love to give gifts more than I receive them. It, it gives me a lot of joy to see other people happy. But uh, I think my, my uh, two love languages are words of affirmation. When people speak uh, affirming words to me, encouraging, uplifting words, that means the most to me. And then is quality time, uh, especially if there's a meal involved, you know? Just saying, if I can spend time with people around the table eating, I'm happy. In fact, I was thinking we should add number six up there and just say food. <laughs> <coughs> You know, all on its own. They say that the way to a man's heart is actually through his stomach, so that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Here's the thing. God loves to give gifts. He is the gift giver. James chapter 1, verse 17. James wrote this. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Good and perfect gift. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, loves to shower gifts on people. And today, I just want to simply, as we, as we le focus our thoughts on the Lord's Supper and celebrating communion together, I want to focus on three gifts that were given to the early church. The Apostle Peter stood up after the Holy Spirit was given to those 120 believers, and he delivered this powerful message based on the word of God, prophecy, mostly from the Old Testament. And there was a response, and God gave three gifts to his people. Number one, I want to talk about the gift of conviction. You may not think of conviction as a gift, but I do. So in Acts chapter 2, let's reread this verse. Now when they, they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So the question here that you should be asking is, what is the this? When they heard this, what was going on in their minds? I want to just direct you back to a couple of verses. I've got to open it up again to Acts chapter 2. 
First of all, verse 23. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And then in verse 36, Peter said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter didn't pull any punches with these people. He called it exactly like it is. You guys murdered Jesus. You put him on the cross. You were implicit in his death. And and what happened was, as a result of that message and a lot of other things that Peter said about who Jesus is, it's, the scripture says they were cut to the heart. That word cut to the heart means a feeling of sharp pain connected with remorse. Conviction. <laughs> guilt. People don't like to hear that word guilt. There is false guilt. There's people who walk around all day long feeling guilty about stuff that they should not feel guilty about. But there are people who from time to time, maybe all the time, feel guilty and there is a reason for that and it's a gift given by God. The feeling of sharp pain. Uh, this summer I started having problems with a tooth uh, on the up, uh, upper side on the right at the back. <laughs> And uh, a few years before, I had problems with my molars on the bottom. Now, all of a sudden, I got this issue on the top. It's given me a little bit of pain once in a while. And then I went on a motorcycle ride with a couple of guys, and we stopped in Merritt for, lo and behold, food, <laughs> lunch, over at the Triple O Chevron there in Merritt. And I was eating a burger, and I don't know what I bit into, if there was like a little piece of bone in the meat or if it was like a hard, you know, the bacon was extra crispy. I don't know what it was. But the pain sent me through the roof. I had to like stand up and walk around. And I, from that point, and we still had hours to ride because we were finishing a loop to go down to Princeton and then through Manning and back. It was like a six, you know, eight hour day, six hours of riding kind of thing. And um, I'm like, what am I gonna do? Uh, I could hardly focus. I had, my head was throbbing. And I, I was like, I, I don't know. So I just, I just started praying. <laughs> I just started praying, and we kept riding. And then we got to, uh, to down to Princeton, and then the suggestion was made to stop for ice cream. And I went, well, that shouldn't be too bad, right? Hot day. Oh, I tell you, when that cold hit that tooth, I hit the roof again. I, I don't know what I was thinking. So then the pain would come and go depending on how I chewed on my left side, and so I favored the right side eventually, and all my chewing was done here, and I figured this is not good. So being a stubborn man, I didn't go to the dentist until our, our uh, you know, checkups that happen every six months. So we went this fall, and I was sitting in the chair, and I'm debating, do I tell him or not? Do I tell him or not? Something nudged me, tell him, tell him! Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I hate needles. I hate that grinding and that drilling and all that stuff because I just knew. I knew there was an issue. Sure enough, I open my mouth to the hygienist and then the dentist comes in. Let me take a look. He gets the fine-tooth comb microscope thing out. Oh, yeah, there's a hairline crack there. He says, yeah, we got to take care of this. Otherwise, we're going to need... He goes, what do we do? Should we do a root canal right now or should we just try, 
you know, doing a deep filling. And I said, let's try the deep filling first and see what happens, right? So they froze it, filled it, and I'm good. But I don't know if there's still an issue underneath anyway. It's okay. I feel good now. I can eat on the left side. This is the way God designed us. When there's, see, there's nerves behind that crack, and that tells you that there's something wrong. It's like that check engine light that comes on in your car, and you go, oh, there's an issue, but I'll just leave it for a while. I, I'm not going to bother with that. It's probably no big deal. Like, it's just a faulty light or something. Um, the sensors behind that little light, the nerves behind your tooth, is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's there for a reason, the pain, the nerves, the light. John chapter 16, Jesus said this before he left. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And then it goes on to talk about the other convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? Did you, did you hear these words? It is to your advantage. It is a gift. The helper. The Holy Spirit is referred to first as a helper. He's come to help us. And it is a help when he puts the check engine light on, when we get a pain signal to those nerves because it means there's an underlying issue that needs to be dealt with. Conviction is a gift because it gives us the opportunity to change. It gives us the opportunity to go to the dentist, to go to the garage and get the problem fixed. And if we ignore the issues, then there's trouble. And, and it shows up in our lives. We will either limp through life, uh, not experiencing all that God really has for us, and we also face the looming consequence of eternal separation from God. But if we pay attention to it and we fix it, there's a blessing in that. I read this morning in my devotions from 1 Thessalonians 5, and I just said, thank you, Lord. This is, I'm so thankful for this. Scripture says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. And we're going to focus on the death of Jesus today. God wants us to obtain salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus who bore our sin. He doesn't want us to be destined for wrath. But it is through our own unbelief that we make ourselves objects of God's wrath because he's a holy God and he needs to deal with the problem with sin. And here's the thing, a little bit later in John 16, up here is verses 7 through 9, and it's not on the screen, but in verse 14, Jesus also said this. He said, He, the Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit's role is to convict us and then to take what Jesus did and make it known to us. Jesus went through his short you know, time on life, 33 years, three years of active ministry, he went around declaring the kingdom of God. And when he saw, and when he met people who were living apart from him, he talked to them about it. With the religious fanatics who kind of knew better, Jesus was a little more direct and harsh with them. 
but with those who had no idea how dire the consequences of sin were, was in their lives. Jesus was so patient and so gentle and so kind and yet still direct, saying he didn't point them necessarily to their specific sins. That was the flashpoint, the check engine light, the nerve. But he said, what you really need is me. You know, what you really need is me. You see, the greatest sin, and it says so up there, is because they do not believe in me. Because when you believe what Jesus did, you realize that all of those sins that you and I are stuck in, and I get stuck in them, friends, like every day, they're paid for by Jesus. He dealt with them. That's why he went to the cross to die, to shed his blood, to atone for to our sin, to cover it, to bear the wrath of God, to be our propitiation. That's what Scripture says, to appease the wrath of God, to take it on himself, to drink that cup. And to redeem us because we cannot redeem ourselves. And so in Romans chapter 2, Paul asks this question Do you presume on the riches of his kindness? God is so kind with us. <laughs> and his forbearance and his patience. Do you presume on the riches of that stuff, not knowing that God's kindness? which is his loving, patient conviction, is meant to lead you towards repentance. And that is the second gift that God gives us today we see in this passage, the gift of repentance. The gift of repentance. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, he said, godly sorrow, godly sorrow is conviction. It is that deep remorse. It is the sharp feeling of pain over our sinfulness. Brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. There's people that walk around in worldly sorrow all the time. They say, oh, I made a mistake. I regret doing that. And that doesn't solve our problem. That doesn't solve our problem. It's godly sorrow. It is that sharp pain and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that pushes us to repentance and then pushes us to salvation. It goes in that order. I uh, read a devotional uh, years ago and, and this, one, this one I kept. I tore it out of the devotional book. I don't even know where it was from. It's just simply called Repentance. And it quotes this verse, Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Conviction of sin is best described in the words, My sins, my sins, my Savior, how sad on thee they fall. Conviction of sin is one of the most uncommon things that ever happens to a person. It is the beginning of an understanding of God. Jesus Christ said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict people of sin. And when the Holy Spirit stirs in a person's conscience and brings him into the presence of God, it is not that person's relationship with others that bothers him, but his relationship with God. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, said David in Psalm 51. By the way, David messed up royally. <laughs> He slept with another man's wife and then he killed the guy. Just to put it bluntly, 
sorry kids, PG-13 or 14A, uh, you got to talk to your parents about that one at home, all right? Uh, I didn't put my filter on in that moment. The wonders of conviction of sin, forgiveness, and holiness are so interwoven that it is only the forgiven person who is truly holy. He proves he is forgiven by being the opposite of what he was previously by the grace of God. Repentance always brings a person to the point of saying, I have sinned. The surest sign that God is at work in his life is when he says that and he means it. Anything less is simply a sorrow for having made foolish mistakes, a reflex action caused by self-disgust. The entrance into the kingdom of God is through the sharp, sudden pains of repentance colliding with man's respectable goodness. Then the Holy Spirit, who produces these struggles, begins the formation of the Son of God in a person's life. Galatians 4.19. This new life will reveal itself in conscious repentance followed by unconscious holiness. Never the other way around. People consciously try to live a good life in holiness, and that doesn't make us right with God. It needs to be conscious repentance and unconscious holiness, not the other way around. The foundation of Christianity is repentance. Strictly speaking, a person cannot repent when he chooses. Repentance is a gift of God. The old Puritans used to say, used to pray for the gift of tears. If you ever cease to understand the value of repentance, you allow yourself to remain in sin. Examine yourself to see if you have forgotten how to be truly repentant. And I keep that as a bookmark in my Bible and I read it often. Repentance, people view as a negative thing, but it's, in fact, very, very positive because without it, we cannot experience the abundant life that God has for us in Jesus to those who make him king. God wants us to live in freedom, in life, in abundance, and joy, and when we find him, we find all of that. You see, repentance just means to agree with God that his way is better than ours. The way we're trying to do things doesn't work. We have to agree with him. And that means that when I'm walking in life this way and I realize it's not really a very good path, I I just simply turn around and look for Jesus and start walking towards him and his way. And that literally is what repentance means. It means to do a 180 and go the other direction. To follow his ways, not my ways. So Peter, in the sermon that he gave here, he said, repent and be baptized. Why, did, why link the two together? It's interesting how in the New Testament, baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit are often linked. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, but you see what baptism does for many people is it now makes real. It solidifies because people give public testimony and witness to the work of Jesus Christ in their life. And so when they stand up in front of others and say, I, want to, I choose to follow him, and when they... Uh, go down in the water, it's symbolic, as Paul said in Romans, of being buried with Christ, of being dead to sin, of identifying with Jesus in his death and putting the sinful nature to death. And being brought up out of the water signals the, the life that Jesus came to bring us. His resurrection and his power within us that brings us life. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 6, Colossians 2, and Romans 8, that the Spirit has come to bring us life. And that's what repentance means. Dead to sin, alive to God, agreeing with him that his way is better and that Jesus is the only way. 
the gift of conviction, the gift of repentance, and here's the best part. Peter said, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ah, this is a beautiful thing. Romans 8, it is the Spirit of God, wrote Paul, that came to bring us life and peace. Who, who here wants a life of peace? <laughs> Complete rest, joy, um, thankfulness all the time. C.S. Lewis, one of, the, one of the greatest minds of our century, you know, a scholar from Oxford, wrote like tons of books, theologian. He came to Christ later in life and he was very resistant to Jesus. He thought it was all a hoax. He thought it was, he thought it was garbage. <laughs> And, and he said, I read this just the other day, C.S. Lewis said the reason why he did not want to believe in Jesus is that he figured if he committed his life to him, then his joy would be gone. Those Christians, like, they have no joy in their life. They have no fun. And so he literally said, I'm going to try this. And he committed his life to Christ, and then he realized at that point that he never had joy to begin with. What he thought was joy wasn't joy. Sure, there's moments of satisfaction in life, that good meal, writing another, <laughs> for Lewis, writing another book. Happiness, sure, there's lots of things that bring pleasure and happiness in life, but not a deep-seated joy and contentment that surpasses all things that this world can give. And when C.S. Lewis gave his life fully to Jesus Christ, he said, ah, this is what they're talking about. Joy. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, Paul said, but when, when one turns to the Lord, so there's that repentance again. When you do a 180 and you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. That's what happened to C.S. Lewis. All of a sudden, he understood. He could see. The veil is gone. Without Jesus, we kind of, we walk through life not seeing things as they should be. And we won't see things until they really should be, until Jesus returns and we spend eternity, when we see him face to face. It'll all be clear. But when, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So many people today walking around all bound up, not experiencing any joy or freedom in their lives. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's why we need the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of God takes up residence in our life, the veil is removed, and we begin to be transformed into more and more into who Jesus is, and, we, and our lives take on a different direction and, di and a different meaning, and true contentment and joy becomes part of our life. Uh, I read a, a devotional uh, the other day. Um, 
in our devotional reading plan that we're doing together as a family. I've, I've talked about this before. My siblings and one niece is involved. And uh, uh, Nikki Gumbel shares a story because Nikki Gumbel is the guy who, uh, he's the vicar at uh, Holy Trinity Brompton in England, London. And he's the guy who started Alpha, wrote the program that brings people to Jesus. And a lot of Alpha's impact has been in prison. So he said Brian Emmett was a career criminal in South London, a drug smuggler and a gangster and contemporary of the notorious Cray twins whom he knew well. Brian had a son, Michael, who joined the family business at a young age. Father and son worked together as international drug smugglers. Their activities were very successful until one night they were arrested as part of a massive police operation involving 12 armed officers and 60 regulars. <laughs> it took 72 people to catch these guys uh, in, a, uh, in a small town of Devon, a fishing port, where a horde of four metric tons of cannabis with a street value of 13 million pound was being landed. At the time, it was the largest ever known importation of cannabis to the UK, and they were each sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison. In 1994, Brian and Michael, father and son, heard about Alpha while in Exeter prison and decided to give it a try. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and their lives were completely transformed. As a father and son continued to serve their sentences, they were regularly transferred from prison to prison. Ah, isn't God good? (laughs) They were regularly transferred from prison to prison throughout England, as is the normal practice. On arrival in each one, they introduced Alpha, and more and more prisoners experienced the love of God for the first time. From those beginnings, Alpha has grown in prison. In 2016, which was the last year for which they have statistics, over 45,000 men and women did Alpha in prisons in, in dozens of countries around the world. When I interviewed Michael, I asked him what difference Jesus had made, and he replied, I was a drug addict for years, entrenched with crime. I looked the part, but inside I was very broken. There was a hole inside of me that I tried to fill with things that didn't work. Then he said this, Jesus is real. He did an inside job on me. The change is dramatic, healing and changing, transforming my heart and mind. The curse has been broken over my family. Brian and Michael's lives were changed because Jesus set them free from their addictions and the sin that was destroying their lives. After lives of crime and lawlessness, they never went to prison again. And then Gumbel says, is it possible for you too to change? And part of the devotional that morning was from the prophet Jeremiah who asked the question, can a leopard change its spots? Can a leper be made clean? We sang it this morning. The answer is yes. Yes. And so there's two responses real quick because we want to respond by giving thanks to Jesus for what he did for us. Number one is to receive the gift. Again, the, the, the verses uh, following uh, the ones that I've repeated many times, verse 39, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who received his word were baptized and there were added about 3,000 souls. So here's the thing, you need to receive the Lord. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. And scripture says, you know what? Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts because you're gonna keep wandering around in the desert like they did after the exodus from Egypt. 
The Lord is speaking. We need to listen and we need to respond. We need to receive what he has for us. I love Romans 6.23 and Romans 3.23. It's going to be on the screen twice in this book. Said, Paul said into Romans, for the wages of sin, the only right payment for sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, his perfect standard of holiness. None of us are there. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. When I, when I walked into the co-op store so many years ago, I didn't even know the gift was mine. Actually, at that point, I didn't need to do anything to receive it. I just went to the manager and said, I'm here to pay my bill, and he says, it's already been paid. My only legitimate response to that was, thank you. Whoever it is, thank you. (laughs) Could you imagine every time you went to the mechanic after the check engine light came on, you go in there, you get the issue resolved. Every time you go to the dentist for a cracked tooth or whatever, you go in and get the issue resolved and you go to the front to pay, they say, it's been looked after. (sighs) Imagine that. It's paid. That's what Jesus did for us. Every time, every time, We go to the checkout and we're confronted with our sin. All we need to do is look to God and he says, it's been paid. It's been paid. John 1 verse 12 to 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God who are not born who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but born of God. This morning, if you want to know that you've been born of God, you need to receive him. You need to receive what Jesus did for you and say thank you for paying the gift. The only right we have as people, there's people that walk around today just saying, I have the right to this, I have the right to this, I have the right to this. We don't. We have a right to nothing. But when we believe what God did for us, then we have one right, the right to become children of God. And that is the biggest blessing there is in this life, to become part of God's family. Isn't that an amazing right that we have? Love it. And then the response is to give thanks. What's an appropriate response to receiving a gift? I mean, people that don't say thank you when I give a gift, they go, hmm, hmm, okay but I love thankful people, and so does God. 2 Corinthians 9, 15, but thanks be to God for his inexpressible, other translations say his indescribable gift. What God did for us is so inexpressible, so indescribable, all we can do is to say, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. This is the first communion, friends, that I will have taken since the end of February? The end of February. So you will have received one of these on the way in. Uh, Carson and Cecily are going to come up and lead us in a response song after we've had communion together. 
And I, I want to say, like, what this represents in this little disposable plastic container are two things. There's a wafer on the top, which represents the broken body of Jesus, the suffering that he went through to uh, pay, obtain our salvation. He gave himself as a gift that we might receive him as a gift. Then the, the juice inside there represents, uh, represents the blood of Jesus. It is symbolic of what he did for us, what the blood, the very life that he shed that we might have life. And so um, if you're a believer in Jesus, participate. Uh, if you're not, it's okay, it's okay not to participate because those, this is for those who have received the gift. This is a thank you. And if by participating you are saying this morning, yes, I believe, I, I believe this, then please participate with us. And it's your way of saying, I receive you today, Jesus. I want to become part of your family. I want the right to be called a child of God. So in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the Lord that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. So why don't you lift the very thin plastic on top, right? If you go from, I think, either side, you just have to sort of get it going. Peel that back, and inside, without opening the juice, there's a little wafer. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'm going to give thanks, and then we're going to partake together. Lord Jesus, what I'm holding in my hand, I give you thanks for. You've told us to give thanks. This little wafer represents your body, the bread of life, which was broken for us. Lord, you gave your all for us. You, you, you were humiliated. You were nailed to the cross. And it was my sin. It was our sin that put you there. And you bore the wrath of God in your flesh, in your body, which this wafer represents, this bread. And so, Lord, we, there is no appropriate response other than to say thank you. This is not something we can do ourselves. We can't give our lives in payment for sin. Only you can and so with grateful hearts, we say thank you, and we partake together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the bread. And so in that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples before he went to that cross, he did this with his disciples. He, it says in the same way also, he took the cup. And so take the cup, please, and just peel back that next layer there to open it up carefully. <laughs> In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In Matthew, it says, this cup represents the forgiveness of sins. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake together of the cup.
Why don't we stand together and respond in a song. Lord Jesus, we give you, we give you thanks again for what you've done for us. <laughs> your broken body, your shed blood, in which we have the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the conviction that you bring into our lives that shows us that we're sinful. Thank you that you give us the gift of tears and repentance that we might do life your way, not our own, and not struggle. And Lord, thank you that you give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You give us salvation through belief in you and what you did on that cross. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.